American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20. Did you know using your browser in incognito mode doesn't actually protect your privacy? Take back your privacy with IPVanish VPN. Just one tap and all your data, passwords, communications, browsing history, and more will be instantly protected. IPVanish makes you virtually invisible online. Use IPVanish on all your devices, anytime you go online at home and especially on public Wi-Fi. Get IPVanish now for 70% off a yearly plan with this exclusive offer at IPVanish.com audio. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're back here to talk for the talk about the defense some more with Bo Smolka in part two of the defense for this week, a game against the Browns. And, you know, a difficult talk. I don't know about you, Bo. I, I find analyzing a game after a really tough loss like this to be a little bit cathartic. Uh, you know, you get some of those bad feelings out of the way. I mean, it's true, but it's also nice that it's a short week. They don't have time to dwell on it. And no one in the building is dwelling on it either. They don't have time to worry about it because they got to turn around and play the Bengals. Another huge game in, what, three days? That's Matt Abike said. He's counting the hours. I don't know, four ninety hours or something like that. So, um, yeah, we talk about it. and But they, it, the rhythm of the NFL week is such that you generally don't have a lot of time to worry about it, and especially not when you turn around and play again on Thursday. All right, well, make sure you go back and download that first episode. Bo had a lot of good insights here, particularly, you know, being a, an insider, a guy who's at the uh, podium when Harbaugh is there, or at the press conferences, is able to ask questions and whatnot. Uh, got some good information. Actually, didn't get any good information on the injuries. I'm sorry. You just didn't get any good information at all. But we did hear from, <laughs> from Ian Rappaport that the Humphrey injury, at least, was not an Achilles and is, is thought to be a calf strain, which is good news. Uh, we don't really have more detail on the Stanley injury at this point. Uh, but yes, it, it, there's other stuff that comes out of those meetings. And uh, listening on um, uh, to, to the recorded interviews is good, but there, there may be even some questions that get deleted from what they put up in, on Twitter that you don't get the whole uh, sense of it. So uh, it can be worth either going out to the website, listening to the press conference. I don't, I still don't know if they edit those sometimes if they get a football question that they don't like or whatever, but uh, uh, Bo would know probably better than me. And, and uh, certainly as a long time uh, cover of the Ravens since 2011. So go ahead and, and, and download that first one. We talked about the pass rush. We talked about packages. We talked about all the things we normally do in the first episode of the defense. And now we'll move on to what we normally do. In the second episode of the defense, we just talk about individual player performances. And Bo, who would you like to talk about first? I'll talk about Jadavian Clowney. Um, again, a guy who 
we joke about him playing with these revenge games. He's had a lot of revenge games this year with all the teams he's played. He's played for Houston. He played for Seattle. He played for Cleveland. And they all came and he got to play them all. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm struck by a few things with Clowney. Number one, they were fortunate they could get him when they did because he's been a really key part of what they want to do. And I know he could probably have... 10 sacks he's he's driving himself crazy with all the close calls he's had he's had guys he's wrapped up and hasn't gotten down he had watson once i believe and watson's a big strong guy um but he's an impact player and i i mean i just think i'm straight every time i watch him play and he's 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 good against the run he's generally uh and again this is a team that had questions about who was going to be able to set the edge for this outside linebacker group. That was a question with the job all along, even, even back in August when it looked like the starting linebackers were going to be a Jabo and Owe. And remember, you might recall a Jabo missed almost all the time. He finally got back on the field for one of the late preseason games mm-hmm. and got sucked inside a couple times early. And he was not setting the edge well against the run there. Who's going to set the edge for this team? Will Malik Harrison be the outside guy on against the run? Clowney's a good edge-setting run defender. He's physical, and and I just think I think they're very fortunate they got him when they did, and he's been consistent for them. I think I, I you, you do wonder if he can hold up for the whole season at his age and what they're asking him to do, and the fact that they don't have a lot of options other than having him out there. But they're very fortunate they have him. A little bit like Pernell McPhee in that respect, a guy that that came back to the Ravens late in his career. But if you look at Clowney's snaps for the last six years, played 967 with Houston, then 712 at Seattle, 425 at Tennessee, 677 at Cleveland, 494 at Cleveland, and now already in half a season, 399 at Baltimore. It's a little more, 1017ths of a season, but he's on pace for well over 600 snaps, obviously. And it would be his, you know... It's probably at least his most snaps since 2019 uh, he will have played. They are rotating at that outside linebacker position. Um, I think Harbaugh is very big on who starts the game because that shows up in permanent football statistics. You know, So uh, getting a game started is a nice thing, and he gives those out judiciously. So even though Tavius Robinson and, and uh, Harrison is the combination of choice to set the edge against the run, He'll put Clowney out there to start the game at outside linebacker just because he wants Clowney to get the start opposite Harrison. It is funny you say that because I've always thought this whole, like, quote, start in football is kind of silly. And, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, not at quarterback, obviously, not at some positions. But if you go back, there was, I think, a few years ago, Nick Boyle started more games at tight end than Mark Andrews. Well, that's kind of silly, but they're, they're starting in these run offenses, and Nick Boyle's a blocking tight end, and they're on first down. They're they're in run. They're in a run situation. They're in a run mm-hmm. package, and Boyle is the quote starter. No one thinks Mark Andrews is not the quote starting tight end, but so I I don't always put a lot of stock into the starter. But to your point, it might be a situation where Clowney Clowney's on the field. He's the starter as opposed to Tavius Robinson, but. Clowney, like I said, I, I just think I just think they're very fortunate that, that Clowney was there, and I and we talked to Clowney uh, after practice or one day maybe last week. I think it was maybe leading into the Cleveland game or leading in one of these one of these uh, revenge games he has, and he just talked about how much he loves being in Baltimore. It just feels like he's re-energized. And remember, 
at Houston, he played for Weaver, who is now the Ravens defensive line coach. Mm -hmm. And Weaver was a big part of bringing him here. And when Clowney was available and they're looking around, Weaver's one of the guys that he talked to. And we, Anthony Weaver talked to Clowney and said, you know, this is the place you should be. And Harbaugh at one point said, Clowney was always a Raven. He just didn't know it till he got here. And I asked Clowney I, a couple of weeks ago, I said to Clowney, hey, here's what Harbaugh said. He said, you were a Raven all along, but you didn't know until you got here. What do you think he meant by that? And he just talked about how he felt like his personality, the way he plays, it just fit into the culture of this team. Obviously, he loves playing for Weaver again. And he, just watching him and talking to him, he just feels like, again, it ended acrimoniously in Cleveland. There were questions about his character. There were questions about his team first mentality, all of that. There, he had kind of this cloud when he left Cleveland. And listening to him and talking to him here in Baltimore, he it just feels fresh. It feels like he's fresh and he's playing like it. Right. Well, one thing we've seen all season is Clowney really fits. Forget all the play like a Raven and, and the platitudinal element of that that you know you know you might get from Harbaugh in coach speak. I look at on the field and I say he's perfect for this defense because he's a compound pressure guy. He's a guy who can create pressure. He's a guy who can clean up off pressure. And the Ravens need both of those. They need some first pressure guys and they need some cleanup people. And, and they've had a great group of pass rushers here who complement each other. And that's the reason for the 39 sacks, folks. It's not because they have a bunch of individual winners. They have a little bit from slot corner that they can get in terms of individual winners. Every Everybody else, is it's usually compound sacks. It's usually somebody else sacks, somebody else makes a move for the initial pressure, somebody else cleans up. Uh, it's one of the reasons why you really need sack shares to be handed out kind of differently in the NFL. And I would love it if someone would come up with the, the the metric where the first pressure on a play that ends up being a sack is like half a sack automatically. Well, to your, I mean, that's what yeah. Mike McDonald told us last year when people were um, on OA for not producing more <laughs> sacks. That was exactly – and. I didn't go back and look at all of them, but McDonald was basically making that exact argument. He said many of Justin Houston's sacks came because oh, I flushed that yep. pocket right into Houston. So your your point is there. I mean, there's no stat that shows that. And and McDonald said, look, yeah, he probably wanted to have more sacks himself, but there were sacks to be had that were made by our team that Oa created. So take that for what it's worth. Yeah, Clowney, uh, in addition to – he had two sacks. One of them actually may go away on Wednesday or Thursday, whenever they review statistics. Uh, I know each team sends in a certain number of plays they'd like reviewed, and they say, well, you know, these official statistics we don't agree with. And one of the ones they commonly will, will ask about is, why didn't you give the sack to player A instead of player B? Well, he had a sack for a loss of one where he came unblocked off the ORS. It looked like a, a straight read option to me. He took down Watson, who kept the ball. Looked like a run play all the way. In fact, there might have even been players already headed into level two for Cleveland on the play hmm. that would tell you it wasn't going to be a pass play. I think he might lose that sack, which is unfortunate. But uh, but it is what it is. And maybe the Ravens will ask him, we want to make sure you keep that sack for Clowney because we know what they were doing. It was blah, blah, blah. But uh, I, I know there, there is some... Uh, desire for the for the Browns to not have that sack on the record for Clowney obviously doesn't want to lose it, um, but it would be a, 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 a it'll be interesting to see how that turns out. It wouldn't wouldn't surprise me. The other thing he did, that, it, I'm sorry, go no, ahead. to change the subject completely. We're well, not completely, but as long as it's on the subject of like things to be reviewed, uh, and this kind of goes down a different rabbit hole. 
this idea of this crackback block on on uh, Kyle Van Noy. Yep. And there was no penalty called on it until Van Noy gets called for the push after the fact. And John Harbaugh said today, yeah, they're going to send that play into review. First of all, it should have been a crackback block. He probably should have gotten a taunting penalty or could have gotten a taunting penalty for standing over him as he did. Neither of them were called. And then after the play, Van Noy gets the call. And so they every week the teams will send plays into the league office. And it's and sometimes they say, well, like Harbaugh will tell us, well, we're just trying to get an interpretation on is that is that something that's allowed or what what why <laughs> why isn't this called or why is that not called? And and so I personally think there's a very good chance that I forget who the player was that leveled, leveled the clack crackback slot. Tillman. So I think there's a decent chance he's going to get fined for that. I mean, there's a lot of fines going around the league this year, and that's the kind of play. Patrick Carr got fined for basically blocking guy at the goal line. It seems to me that could be a play that could get fined, and there was no flag on the play. And, and again, I have no metrics. I have no research on this. But it strikes me more and more the league is assessing fines on plays that aren't even flagged during the game. And that, to me, is an issue that these things are not being called penalties, but then the league is reviewing them later or the te- teams are sending them in and the league saying, yeah, that, that, that's not safe. We're going to find the guy for that. Well, if it's not safe, it probably should be a penalty. Right. Well, it's a, and they, but they don't catch everything at the time. It's just the nature of the thing. Even with the, the, uh, the eye in the sky. Now they're not catching all those penalties. There is a distinction between a crackback and a peel back block. And supposedly if the guy stays high and his shoulder is the first thing that leans into the player, he can still make that block. And I, I don't know. Someone with an officiating background is going to have to tell me uh, tell me more yeah, about this. Also, I meant to look up the rule today, and I apologize yeah. I didn't. There was also something about, if I remember, I remember last year the officials, usually one day in August, and I, I wasn't there for this year if they did it. Usually it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. One day, usually each August, um, for the like the reporters that cover the team, there's a lot of times during training camp there will be like college uh, referees, college yep. officials will come and cover practices. But occasionally there will be a there will be a, um, a an NFL crew, and they come from time to time. But usually one day when there's an NFL crew that comes. After practice, they will come and have a meeting with the local media and say, these are the points of emphasis we're going to look at this year. And they'll often show a video board of plays and so forth. And I remember a couple of years ago when they made the crackback block, whatever the point of emphasis, so they changed the rule on that. And one of the issues was, was the player making the block like facing their own, was their body facing their own ends? Was they basically facing their own end zone where they turned and facing the offensive side of the ball, which meant they were basically they were basically moving backward away from motion to, to make that block. And mm-hmm. I'd have to go back and look at the wording of it, but um, it looked it looked like the kind of play that would be penalized, and it wasn't. And then, of course, he stood over the guy and uh, stood over Van Noy, and that also looked like we've seen we've seen a play like that called. Neither was called. Of course, Van Noy's pissed off and ends up pushing. There's a penalty. That's a, you know, we take the Ravens take a dumb penalty there. Um, but I, I just think later down the road, I, I brought it up only because you mentioned, oh, they, they may review this and change the sack. It struck me they're going to review that and they may end up finding that play and it wasn't called on the field. 
it would be cool if they if they find him and they don't hit up. Uh, I, I don't think it's finable anyway because it certainly wasn't a violent kind of a push down. But I didn't remind- think the Patrick Ricard fine was finable, but he got fined. Well, the, but the Patrick Ricard involves some helmet to helmet action, so at least I understand why they did it. I don't agree with it, but I understand why. the the, the most uh, The most similar one of this was in London to me when OBJ stepped on Simmons' hand. He did it intentionally, and he's kind of got that anti-hero quality about him, where he draws a lot of penalties. And then he, and then he, he, he backed away, expecting Simmons to get up and push him down. As soon as he laid his hand on, of course, he flops right down to the ground, which is part of you know being ready for it because you know he's much too big a man to be normally pushed down, even by you know a guy like like Simmons easily. But no, I mean these guys are ready to let it happen. Wrong guys, when they <laughs> fall, sometimes like that, you know they're wanting to fall. Yeah. So anyway, the, the, in, in this game, I, there is a difference between a crackback and a peel black block. And, and, and one of the definitions I saw out there was even if you're going backwards towards your goal line. And by the way, that means any angle less than 90 degrees, then you're, you're, if you lead with your shoulder to the chest first, it's still okay. And I couldn't really tell, but it didn't look like, like he did any more than that. Now the taunting side of it, I thought it could have been called and you can't stand over and you know teabag your opponent basically and, and tell them you know what a bad play you made. You have to you have to get the hell out of there. Um, but it, it was a it, it was an interesting call. We'll see how the fines go. My guess is no fine for Van Noy. I think you might be right. Some fine for Tillman there. Uh, well, yeah, I, I don't think it'll be a fine for Van Noy. My thought was there'd be a fine for Tillman on the hit. And interesting, there's also a play. John Simpson hammers someone on a block too, mm-hmm. and it looked like a clean block, and it wasn't flagged either. But um, you know, I mean, hits are hits. This this game involving it involves hitting. Uh, I thought the I, I thought I'd have to go back and look more closely at, at the, the, the the angles and so forth to see whether the block was illegal. But you, like I said, the taunting thing has been called. I've seen taunting called for worse or less. I should say. Simpson block you're talking about was on the screen pass to Mitchell that went for yep, thirty two yeah, yards. Yep. Great block on that play, by the way, and and. Mitchell, he, he, I'm sorry, Simpson has not been having a great year, but he had three consecutive highlight blocks for us at that point in the game. So he, he really, he, he had a very good game in this one. And uh, a lot of the other offensive linemen, they were up and down. Obviously, Stanley didn't play that well in this game. McCarry didn't play that well in this game from their, from their penalties and some of the pressures they gave up. But um, John Simpson actually pretty good in this one. And, uh, and bunch of highlight blocks in a row but I, I i love that in fact if if you look down the field simpson not only did he knock that guy down but then he went down looking to hunt for more and if he had made the block on i think it was 23 downfield i forget i always get confused whether it's newsome yeah, or, yeah, yeah. or who it is but if he'd have blocked him i, I think mitchell goes to the house so he, he just missed the missed that second block and uh, just a great overall play by by simpson on that play well, I, I know we're talking defense, but I was just glad to see screen pass finally work. Yeah, there you um, go. But yeah, I mean, but but <clears throat> anyway, I thought the, the Van Noy play was was interesting to me. I mean, it was it's and it's so obvious. It's in space. No, you know, it's obviously everyone can see it happen live. And he got hammered, and he's pissed off. But no flag. To go back to Clowney for just a second, party to two drive ending plays in this game. Just the, the the amount of pressure he's created has been so great. I, I I love the fact that he's in a Ravens uniform. I honestly think he's a guy you really try and re-sign. And, and we said this about Justin Houston last year, but they both meet the profile. And you're going to have to – the next next year you get him, you're going to have to pay him a little bit more in terms of at least incentives. You might get him at the vet min again. And it seems like 
and I want to get your take on this boat, that the Ravens have kind of found a formula to get older pass rushers with something left in the tank. And it's a position where the Ravens have found another way to economize on an important position. I think that's true. I mean, you saw they did it with Houston. They Mm -hmm. did it with Houston twice. Um, And it is pass rushers. You have to pay for pass rushers. There's no doubt about it. The elite pass rushers you break the bank for. And if you get these guys like Clowney, he turns 31 in February. So he'd be 31 next year. Um, and like I said, he feels rejuvenate, rejuvenated here. I think he really likes being here. I, I would see that as a guy that the Ravens might prioritize signing because he'd come cheaper than a 23-year-old hitting free agency for the first time. He'd be a lot cheaper than that. Yeah, and, well, and, and a lot cheaper in terms of draft capital than any great pass rusher you can get. Yeah, so yeah. You, you definitely... right. they've, done, they've done this the past few years with, with kind of filling the – filling the roster that way with veteran proven older pass rushers who have contributed for them. So he seems, and like I said, Weaver likes having him here. He seems to really like being here. Um, players like him here. So that, that we haven't asked the cost about that, but that would seem to be a guy that would be a kind of an economical signing at that position. By the way, I absolutely love Anthony Weaver in terms of you just tell having the guy at the podium He's going to be a head coach and not in particularly a long amount of time. He relates incredibly well to the players. And I've seen him go up there and take rip move after rip move from every defensive lineman on the team without wearing the arm pad things that they that they often do that drill in. But he yep. sits there. He lets them take rip move after rip move against so He's just, you know, you think you're tough? Come on. <laughs> no, I mean, the guy looks like he can still play practically. Yeah. He's a good, he's a physical specimen still. No, they love him. They love him. And, I, you know, my understanding, he was in the mix for the job at defense coordinator, and they gave it to McDonald. Um, but, yeah, he will be he's, – he's, he's very, very good. And, and I mean, he's he's got coaching his, in his future for sure. Um, but he, as I said, he, he had Clowney in Houston, um, and he was instrumental in talking to Clowney he was a free agent and the Ravens were interested and talked to him about the culture and everything else here. And, and, you know, and he's been, it's been, a, it's been a great find for them. And I would, I would think extending Clowney or re-signing him, I should say, um, would be, would be probably a fairly, good move economically as, as, as Eric Costa told us, you know, they got, they got this whole deal with Lamar Jackson contract now. So you, that changes the way you can negotiate and the yep. way you can kind of fill the balance sheet for the whole rest of the roster. And if yep. you can get a guy like Clowney who can still contribute at a relatively decent price relative to other pass rushers, that might be a good move. 80% of the player at 20% of the price, certainly. And that's, uh, I, I actually think they're probably getting 120% of the player at 20% of the price right now. But, you know, the, the comparable guy that they brought in late in the season, and they paid a lot for him in terms of draft capital, was Ngakwe. Mm-hmm. And Ngakwe didn't give them any more. And he probably, frankly, gave them quite a bit less than what they got from Houston, Clowney, a little more than JPP, probably, but less than Van Noy. Uh, right now is giving them uh, it's just they, they seem to have found a better way to economize that on that and it's why every year at the at the trade deadline all of Twitter is insufferable in their desire to to trade every future draft 
<laughs> capital asset you have away for talent and and think nothing about the future. You know, <laughs> there's there's so many parallels in life that that you know I I wouldn't want to live my entire life on a credit card and be paying off everything at 18%. Yeah. You know, it's just this, this is the Rams have chosen to do it and they happen to win a Super Bowl doing it which was the worst thing for Twitter. The worst thing for right. what we have now, to listen to. And, well, to their credit, they won the Super Bowl. That's what they went for, and they got it. But you're right. Every year, Trey Dunn, it goes crazy. And, you know, the Ngakwe thing, they clearly thought they were going to get more than they got there. It just it just didn't work out. He didn't. And there's one where it didn't, even all along, it just didn't feel like it fit right. And I don't know how to explain it, but it just never felt right. Um, and JPP was was kind of a guy as Steve Smith is just a guy at that point and did he, a, f- a couple flashes, but um, both Clowney and Van Noy have been, you know, again, and they needed them. They needed them because they, they thought Bowser would come back and he hasn't, they thought a job would be here and he isn't. And Oway was in and out for a month and a half. And so they needed both of them. And like I said, I just think that they're, they're fortunate, but they both seem to be, just a good fit. I, I got to ask you this because you're here, and I know you're at the castle regularly. Any updates, any kind of status on either Ajaba or Bowser at this point? Well, it's they're both they're both so strange, and so with Ajaba, well, let's go to Bowser first. Bowser's just been bizarre because at the time, even this summer, the short answer is not really. Um, you know. We've seen him occasionally doing like a, he's doing like an, he's not, he's never in uniform. He's still on the uh, non-football injury list. And for a while there, he was doing these workouts on the side field when the team would practice. And again, we're only allowed to watch like first 15 minutes or 20 minutes of practice, but Bowser would be out there doing some conditioning work. And uh, John Harbaugh at, at various points would say he's close. And then he would say, well, there, we may have an announcement about him or there's a complication at one point he said, and then suddenly it sounded like he might be coming back, but then he wasn't around for a while. I noticed the last couple of home games, he hadn't been like playing football with the fans like he did at times. So I thought, but I saw him briefly in the locker room after the game. He doesn't really talk to the media right now. He declined the only time he was approached in the locker room mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago. He, I know he does a podcast with Glenn Clark, and he he says all the right things about being optimistic about he's feeling good. He hopes to be back soon, but I, I don't know. I, I just I, it doesn't seem close. He's not even on the he's not started practicing yet, and he's been out for what is it five months now or more. Uh, so I, no, no update on him, but Jabo is another strange one because it looked like when he got hurt, he might be shut down. And then John Harbaugh said, I don't know, maybe a month ago, uh, Jabo has to make these decisions. And then I was not in London, but apparently Jabo, of course was in London. He was excited to go to London because he grew up in Scotland and he, you know, he was so excited to go there. So I felt bad for him that he was hurt for that game because I remember talking to him in August and he was so excited to go back to the UK and play this game in front of his friends and family. And then he's hurt and he can't play. But apparently in London, he mentioned something. I know he was not going to have surgery. He was hoping to get back. And then just a week ago, John Harbaugh was asked about a job and he said, well, we, we, we probably will have an announcement soon that he oh, said that's not good no it's not good and then harbaugh was asked about a again on friday and he said no there's there's nothing there's nothing to say about him but 
an announcement isn't usually to say he's going to play. Yeah. So I suspect maybe he's closer than not to actually having the surgery, but I, it doesn't seem like either of them are close to coming back. I'll say that. Yeah, two, two things about this. So first of all, with Bowser, he has to play six games to get credit, to get service time credit for the season, I believe. And I think at this point, it's only service time because the contract is going to roll forward a year anyway. He's just not going to get paid for it. And his, his, then his final year of the deal will still be next year. And the Ravens will have an option. They might end up cutting him, obviously, and and uh, and move on. Or they might try and hope that he's the Bowser of old, who's the best coverage outside linebacker in the game that can really help their pass rush. Uh, and maybe that's a little bit of a pipe dream. But he's uh, he was a hell of a player when he was healthy, is all I can say about that. It's funny. When they re-signed him, it looked like a good value signing, right? Oh, I, yeah. I know. Uh, Eric DeCosta goes through this all the time. It was a relatively... When you look at the cost, I can't remember the contract numbers now, but at the time you're thinking that's a that's a really reasonable price for what you think you're getting with him at the top. Like he's a good coverage linebacker, he was an athletic guy, played basketball a little bit at University of Houston in addition to football. Um, and and he had that great one-handed interception at Cleveland. I remember he's he's at his best, he was he was a versatile player who could do a lot. But I, I my own thought is. I'd be surprised if we see him play for this team again. I just think they're going to move on from him, but we'll see. Next year, he has a base salary of $5.5 million. So that's the savings that that they'll have on the line. There's always pressure to cut a player like that, particularly if you have concerns. The other thing that is similar to the Ajabo situation and different as well, Ajabo, of course, drafted in the second round, should have been a first-round pick, everybody thought. Um, worked hard to try and get back on the field during 2022, finally did, had his, had a sack, played in some plays, you know, great that, that he got in finally for that Cincinnati game at the end of the year. Um, but one thing the Ravens lost an opportunity with was to keep him on NFI for the entire season. Now he comes back another injury in year two, and the Ravens probably regret that. Seriously, frankly, they, they would rather have had him sit out redshirt the entire year. They would have had still four years of him under contract after an NFI if they'd never taken him off that. That's not something that would really make the player happy with you. But on the other hand, Andrew Voorhees now, who's in that same situation, I think they're going to ride it out on NFI. I do not think there's a reason to try and activate him at any time this season to try and pay him, uh, you know, additional money. I think they basically want to just wait till next year, have him have him play four years, and get him excited about the the notion that, hey, he's probably playing for the starting right guard job next year. We'll have a clear path at it. Yeah, we were. I've seen um, he's been around, and and he I, we often see him walk out to the field during practice or just just take a look. And he's on. The, I saw him uh, maybe in the locker room or on the sideline. But yeah, I mean, he's a really interesting case because again, this was a guy that tore his ACL. I think at the combine, wasn't it at the yep, com- at the combine right before he had thirty eight reps on the bench. Yeah, so he does the reps with his torn ACL and. Basically, and I remember asking John Harbaugh about him back in uh, around the draft and or right after the draft. He said they had basically a third or fourth round grade on the guy, and then he's hurt and he he's not getting drafted. And then they jump back into the draft. I think they traded for they traded. I think they traded Cleveland six to Cleveland maybe for mm-hmm. next year to get him. But and then they and then they basically have him, and they know he's not going to play. And I agree with you. I don't think that I don't think we'll see him. I don't care if they 
you know, if, if these tackles falter and falter and falter, he's not, I don't think they view him as ready or worth it to even try to press him into action at this point. So, but I do think it was a, I know people who live on the West coast who follow the West coast and follow USC and say, this guy is a legit, I think it was all big 10, maybe 12 or all pack 10, pack 12, yeah. 12. Yep. A couple of times. He's very impressed with me. He's definitely not a seventh round talent. He's higher, higher than that. So it could end up, it could end up being a steal. Now he also could end up that he's never quite. Did you know using your browser in incognito mode doesn't actually protect your privacy? Take back your privacy with IP Vanish VPN. Just one tap and all your data, passwords, communications, browsing history, and more will be instantly protected. IP Vanish makes you virtually invisible online. Use IP Vanish on all your devices, anytime you go online at home and especially on public Wi-Fi. Get IP Vanish now for 70% off a yearly plan with this exclusive offer at ipvanish.com/audio. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply right again but i do think i don't blame the ravens at all for taking a flyer on him i think it was totally worth it but i also don't think we'll see him i don't think there's any reason as you said to to rush him back now all right yep. uh let's let's move let's reel it back in here we'll talk about some defensive yeah, stars sorry, this no no that's okay we, because we love the rabbit holes in this thing that's a lot of the interesting conversation so i do want to make sure we talk about kyle hamilton uh but before we uh you know, log off in the end here but great game obviously the pick six we talked a little bit about it during the first episode and just how that play was really designed to get hamilton a tip on the football and not just a tip as in I'm deflecting it down, but a tip to tip it up in the air and potentially intercept that ball. To have that work out exactly as I believe was planned since he lined up off ball, um, effectively made Watson read that play as hot out to Bryant and then was in position to, to make the play right away is just absolutely incredible that it all came together like that because that's a schemed up play and a, and a damn good one. Well, like I said before in another episode, I mean, I just, he's a different kind of guy. And at six foot four, he's got the length that he will create problems. Um, we saw he's got the speed when he does these slot blitzes to run down the, the, the quarterback. And he's a, he's a, he's a good tackler. When you watch him, he, he, he's just a good tackler. Yeah. Um, open field, he wraps up. And I remember the game a couple of games ago, and they, um, I forget which game it was, but like I'm, I'm struck by like, wow, he's making all the tackles. They're they're running on this team, but he's he's just a really good tackler, and so he's got the length um, on that play specifically. As you said, he starts off the line of scrimmage, and I thought he was coming, and then he and he and he paused, or he got, you said he was kind of angling toward the receiver, which might have been the case, but either way, he's his his length is is problematic. And and I, I just think it's a it's interesting to me to watch how they use him because he can they draft him as a safety. He's supposed to be a safety way back there at the back end of the defense. But now it's like, wait a minute, we like him up there in the slot. He can really be a problem. So yeah. the big nickel, I think you call it, 
if they have a capable either Mar uh, Marcus Williams or even Worley back there. Um, he, he's a fascinating kind of guy to play in the slot because I remember back in the summer, like, well, who's going to be the slot defender? Is it going to be Marlon Humphrey? And Marlon Humphrey's in the slot where they can be physical. Who's playing outside Marlon Humphrey? And well, they, they went through this entire series of slot corners. They had Brandon Stevens there to start the camp, and then they said, no, we need to, to move Brandon Stevens. They were going to play him at safety. Then they moved Brandon Stevens to slot corner, and then they needed more of an outside corner, so they moved him there. Then they brought in Mollette. And he was healthy for about two days in the summer yep. before he went down. And then they 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 finally found struck gold, we thought, in Ardarius Washington. Now, first of all, they went to Pepe and he got hurt. Yeah, he got hurt too. And then they, and then they went to Ardarius Washington. It really looked like they'd struck gold because he was great during that preseason. He had a sack in the first game. He was looking like a player. And all of a sudden he got hurt in game two. And you know, all of this time, a lot of the question was: does is, is the best place for Kyle Hamilton at slot corner? or on the back end. And I really thought the decision should be made basically entirely on where you can get the most value out of Hamilton. Don't let the tail wag the dog. Don't let, you know, the fact that Geno Stone is a better player than Pepe may be your, be your decision point on whether, where you're going to play Kyle Hamilton. It's like deciding on who's going to play quarterback better based on whether your running back or wide receiver is better and your quarterback can play through those positions as well. It's, 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 it just didn't make any sense. Anyway, I, I'm I'm glad that they finally arrived at what I think is the correct decision from from the evidence right now that Hamilton's the best slot corner they have. Gives them a lot more there in terms of presence and using him like the Chargers used Derwin James. It's really a huge asset. No, he's a he's a difference maker there. There's no doubt about it. The whole slot thing. I remember, you mentioned Brandon Stevens. I someone asked me on a show the other day who I thought the biggest surprise on this team was. And I said, I think it was Brandon Stevens, because I remember back in OTAs, Brandon Stevens was basically the fourth safety mm -hmm. uh, because at the time, I mean, I remember when they drafted Brandon Stevens, he had started at UCLA as a running back and then he transferred to SMU and he became a cornerback. Mm -hmm. And so he gets drafted Brandon Stevens, cornerback SMU. And I remember talking to Eric Tacosta and Joe Hortiz after that draft. They said, well, yeah, well, he's, he's a versatile guy. He's very athletic. We see him as a safety and they always kind of, and he, he played a little hybrid at one point, but I know they had in their mind, they had him as a safety. And I remember watching OTAs this spring and he was back there playing safety when I think Williams wasn't there. Hamilton might not have even been there at, for, for one of the weeks that we're allowed to watch, or maybe it was even back during that football school, they call it. But anyway, Stevens was playing safety and you had these other cornerbacks and, um, at the time, Pepe Williams, I think, was viewed as the probable starting slot corner. Uh -huh. And Jalen Armour Davis, they talked up Jalen Armour Davis as an outside corner <laughs> who might start, and he just can't stay healthy. It's not just about health. He can't find the football. So he's, he's got more problems than that. I, I sit there watching camp with people. I am astounded at the love for Jalen Armour Davis in terms of what's happening on the field. I don't see it. The guy's fast. He can sometimes stay with people on the boundary. You got to be able to at least threaten to find the football, or you're always going to be a target for one on one contested throws. And it's not like he has a hammer for arms that he's working with that has been exceptional there. He makes coverage mistakes at the top of the route. It's just, I do not understand the love for him. Well, uh, I don't know if there's any, I, I think the love for him might be fading because, first of all, he can't stay healthy. Yeah. And he's now, you know, uh, I remember listening to, I think it was Chris Hewitt or one of the defensive backs coaches this spring saying, like, we see Armour Davis and Rocky Yassin in like a, this is before they signed Darby, I think. 
we see those guys as kind of battling for the for the cornerback job. And and again, I'm like, okay. I mean, Arbor Davis was one of the main reasons for the huge collapse against Miami last year. And then, yeah. in fairness to him, it was like the second game he's played, and they were not Hamilton didn't play. It was, it was just a mess. But it's a fair point about Armour Davis, and it seems he's fallen way down the pecking order. He can't stay healthy, and he's taller and he's longer than some of those other guys. But you're right, he's not. He's not. He's not getting it. But getting back to Stevens, Stevens is a guy who's supposed to be a safety. And then suddenly all these guys get hurt and they're like, oh, yeah, you were a cornerback in college. You want to, let's let's bring you back here to corner. He, well, you know, that's something where don't you, you can't just buy into the coach speak. You have to actually, you know, l- look at the thing and say what makes sense. And first of all, there is a question of need. So the Ravens had an incredible need at outside corner with no depth at all as camp was wearing on. Incredibly, yep. it's really held up during the season. But Stevens had played OK at outside corner last year, and he finished at his best of the year. He, he, he Most of his penalties were early in the year. He cleaned that up and beat a pretty decent boundary corner at the end of the season. And now he's, you know, he's, he's taken a step forward where I, I had a tweet about him the other day, but he said near the top of the league in a whole bunch of key metrics like yards per target, you know, uh, uh, obviously he, he has, he has no touchdowns allowed. I said, I believe still. Um, and there are a whole bunch of others. If you want to look at the tweet, look at the tweet. But the point being that, that Stevens, the, the, the point of need for, for the team was much more at outside corner. And I'm just glad they finally figured that out. Um, he, had, he had played a lot of different positions. And at SMU, which you mentioned briefly there, he'd been moved around on a, on a down-by-down basis. And I literally move, mean like they move Hamilton between free safety and, and slot corner, except they, except they did it slot or strong safety, slot corner, and outside corner, sometimes all on the same series of downs. <laughs> and, and and when you review tape of the guy from college, the only way you can follow where he is on the field, because you can't see the uniform numbers particularly well there, um, were to look for the red shoes. And he's the, he's the only guy who wears these oh. bright red shoes at SMU. So very hard to follow. But uh, he's a very interesting study, you know, at draft time because of these multiple positions. But I'm glad the Ravens didn't continue on with this Carlos Correa, Michael Orr, you know, all the all the, you know, kind of marginal NFL players that they moved around to a bunch of positions and ruined them. You know, <laughs> so he's, he's, you know, he's there now as an NFL talent, but he needs to stay at this position. And I, I think, and I, John Harbaugh said, we asked him maybe three or four weeks ago, like, do you, do you, he, it sounds like they're going to keep him at corner. And I know at one point the question was, does he have the ball skills to, uh, follow the ball, you know, yep. see the ball, get the ball as an outside corner. But he's physical. I don't think. I think they like how physical he is. And I remember seeing the. the I think it was the Bengals game. He would. He caused a problem just in terms of press and battling those guys. And he he pushed them around. And I don't know if they expected it from him. I will say I haven't looked lately, but I think after maybe a few weeks ago, I think he was the most targeted corner in the league because I think teams still is. Yeah. So you know, teams see him and they're going to go at him. They're going to go at him, but. He, he, he's physical and, and he's, he's held up well. And so it all started when I said, someone asked me who I thought the most surprising player on the team was. And I think, or most pleasant surprise, I think he has to be one of them because they didn't see him being starting cornerback in March. Actually, let me, let me, conf- let me uh, correct myself on that. He was last week. He's dropped a third now. Alante Taylor of New Orleans, 73. Tyreek Stevenson of Chicago, 72. Brandon Stevens, 71. And he's done it while a, put, posting a 67.2 passer rating against. So I mean, that is 
pretty freaking remarkable. Yeah. And I, again, I mean, I just think he's, they're testing him and he's being physical with these guys. He's not backing off guys. He's staying with them and he's not, you know, he probably wishes he had more interceptions, but he's, 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 he's tough. And again, for a guy that they didn't, this is not who they thought they would have out there every down in March when I saw him playing safety in OTAs. So I give him credit for that. Yeah, that's that is for sure true. How about we move on? We talk about a couple more defenders before we uh, have to say goodnight here. But Bo, who do you want to talk about? Uh, let's talk about. Um, well, I just talked all about Brandon Stevens. He was one I wanted to talk about. How about Michael Pierce? Okay. Um, and I'm not specifically talking about Michael Pierce in this game, maybe as much as I think the Michael Pierce that they've had, and I know he had the breakout game a couple of games ago, but um, you know, as a guy that kind of saw his career derailed and we didn't know what they get from him. He comes back from Minnesota after getting hurt in the COVID year and um, they signed him and it looked like, um, honestly, it looked like maybe lost money the way last year ended with his triceps injury. But, you know, in the middle of that defense, he has been kind of this quiet beast much of the year. And then of course he had the breakout game a couple games ago. So um, I give him credit because I was, I was a little skeptical that that was, like I said, lost money after two plus years where he hardly did anything. And so his career is kind of, and he's a, he's a, he's a really nice guy to talk to. I I actually personally like talking to him. He's very affable and he's an easy guy to root for. Um, So good for him. And I think he's been, when that red defense has been good, he's been right in the middle of it. Yep. Absolutely. Tremendous run defender. And He's one of these guys that they're also finding out he's their best pass rusher that they have from the nose. And so, I mean, I think Jones, honestly, has done some good things there as well. But one thing you'll notice if you look at the snaps one by one is that Matabike and Pierce have a tremendous overlap in the snaps they play. And it's largely because they're both in on the same passing downs. So they want to get those two on the field. And they, they're very complementary to each other. Matabike has done some uh, – has, has benefited from Pierce being willing to stunt over him where you wouldn't normally think that's the relationship. You think Pierce is, you know, he's be, he'd be the underneath guy on a stunt because Matt Beek has got real speed and Pierce is, is a, you know, a giant man <laughs> who would have some problems moving, but Pierce has been the over guy a lot. And, and, that creates a peel block situation where one half of the double on Matabike is going to be peeled to give him opportunities. And, and it's been really good for, for Justin so far this year, but uh, Pierce great run defender. And he's, and he's really ramped it up as a pass blocker, a, a pass rusher. I should say really hope he's back next year. He's, he's not under contract. He was, his, his, his year was cut by one and they added void years to his contract. So they could spread out some money, but he, he is to me, he's a priority resigning for next year. I don't have any idea what it will cost. Yeah, I don't either. It's a good question. I don't know what his value would be on the open market, whether it's a case where he's more valuable here than there, whether mm-hmm. he'll look around more, whether he'd really want to stay here when he when he left the first time, right? He was finishing his uh first go round as an after you know his undrafted rookie turn was ending and he wanted to Got to Minnesota, got paid well, then he got hurt, then he had the COVID year, he sat out, um, came back here, and yeah, uh, he's. I think I think he's well-liked in the building. Um, I don't know what it would cost either. They're not going to be able to keep Matabike, I don't think. I don't think there's any chance they keep him. 
I just think he's, you know, to his credit, pricing himself out of here. You can't, as Eric Tacosta said, you can't pay everybody, and he is going to command a huge amount of money. Yeah, I mean, you, you definitely can't keep everybody if you draft well. And that's that's the, the heartbreak of being a great drafting organization is you have to let these players go, and it's just it's the worst thing. It's a nightmare for your fans. They want to keep everyone. Matthew Judon was you know left here very bitter about it. And he basically yeah. says they, they won't pay anybody after their first contract. Well, no, they will pay a few players, and they'll pay even an edge rusher, but they have to pay Tyus Bowser because they can't afford you. Yeah, that's a great example, yeah. right? Tyus Bowser was a lot cheaper than Matthew Judon was, right. and they thought the value was, was worth it. And it's compounded now because they paid Lamar Jackson, and so that changes the calculus for everybody else. And they paid Roquan Smith. And, you know, they've got other big contracts on the books, too. So and they can push a little bit. They can play a little bit with that money, but they don't want to do too much of that. And, you know, Matabike is going to it's it's in some ways, maybe you can find value. if, a, But Matabike has got a sack in seven straight games. I mean, you're not yeah. that's not going away. And he's 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 played very well. He's deserving of the attention he's going to get as a free agent. And I just don't see the Ravens being able to keep him. Let's get him a Super Bowl ring before he's out of here is all I've got to say about that. And, and if it's this year, that's fine. Well, that, they'd love that. I'll tell you that. Yeah. So the, the only the, – it is it is possible, I guess, they could keep him and franchise him. I have a, sec, a, a second show called Friday Morning GM that we talk about a lot of these contract issues on. So I'll save that discussion yeah, for the there. Yeah, fr- the franchise issue is going to be an interesting one with him. I think – I mean, I think – You'd have to look at him as a candidate for it, and and again, I'd have to. I haven't started, but you'd have to crunch the numbers and see what that would take or what it would look like. But that is a he. He would be an option for that. Yep, yep, he certainly would be. Uh, let's see. I, 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 I do want to talk about Marlon Humphrey uh, before mm-hmm. we get off there because he really had a great game here. Uh, before he got hurt, it wasn't just the the whole differences, which I think we went over in the first episode, was how starkly different the Ravens' defense was with and without Marlon Humphrey. But Marlon himself played extremely well. Um, he only gave up one five yard play, and that was part of a you know emoting after the play that he 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 hit himself in the helmet for basically overrunning into Queen's zone on a whip route. Uh, where basically give up a five-yard play. He knew right away it was his his fault. He starts hitting his head. That's the only five-yard pass he gives up the entire game. He wasn't penalized. You know, there were th- only three targets his way, whereas you know, Stevens and and Yassine were getting plenty of targets um, on, on the field at, at, at that time. But uh, it just it, it's he's had a terrific year now, and he had some penalties that were part of the uh, of the equation these last few weeks. But in the last four weeks. He's only given up 24 total yards of receiving, which is incredible. And it's it's about 200 snaps. I got to I got to go back to find the exact number. But regardless, the point is not lost that, you know, anybody who's given up six yards a game is very key to your defense. And, you know, we mentioned the physicality he brought and, and how much the Ravens were were really lost without that. No, and obviously, like every every quarterback sees him and that's one reason why Brandon Stevens is the most targeted corner in the league because they go the other way and and to your point when when he went out they went right at Rocky Asin they went right at him on on the series that he went out and I noticed that too when at the Pittsburgh game I think it was his first game back and they he was playing on like a 
every other series kind of thing. And when Humphrey went out, they would go after, I think it was Darby at that time. Maybe Yassine played one series there. As well. um, I mean, he's got the reputation. He is who he is. And, and he's not a guy you want to mess with. If you're, if you have a choice and you have Stevens on one end and Humphrey on the other, you're probably going after Stevens. So Humphrey's earned it and he's played well. I think that first game at Pittsburgh, he got burned on the long touchdown. And I don't think he was physically back completely yet. Uh, but I will say, uh, yeah, the last few weeks has been really good. All right. A- absolutely outstanding stuff. I'm going to check the mailbag here, but is there any other player you want to talk about before we uh, look at this? Oh, no, I'm good. You're talking about the, the contract years. I think Geno Stone's the other really interesting one, but you can yep. do that on your Friday GM show. We- we'll do. We certainly will hit up. It's been hit up a few times already, but Stone is going to be another very difficult player to keep. Got a good one here from Imaginary Internet Guy. That's at Diet Woke Lime. Says, Mike McDonald's scheme has gotten a lot of credit for the stellar defense this year. Do you think that that has covered up for talent deficiency on D? Are there any defensive free agents the Ravens should re-sign with their limited cap space, or is it all scheme? Well, I definitely don't think it's all scheme. You have to have some players, and you know, players like Hamilton and Roquan and Michael Pierce and Jadavian Clowney making plays, and certainly Marcus Williams when he's healthy, Stone for that matter, are all valuable guys that you just can't plug and play anybody in those same spots. But uh, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna have to spend some money on the defense because they're losing a ton of defensive players this offseason. Well, I mean, you'll, you'll you I think you probably will lose Matabike. You'll probably lose Queen. I think the goal was you drafted Trenton Simpson thinking he would become Queen. Uh, he's not Queen now, but I don't see a way that you can keep Queen. I know they didn't do your option. That doesn't necessarily close the door to him coming back, but. He's going to, again, Dacosta said, you just can't pay everyone. So, yeah, you're probably going to lose Queen. I'm, this is the cycle of the GM life, though, right? You, It is a pain when you draft good players and you want to keep them and you draft and develop them, and then you lose them, and you lose right. them, and it happens with this team all the time. And the idea is that you've brought in other people behind them who will then take their place and become the next person that you draft and develop. So that's it- the goal. Um, they already signed Broderick Washington. You make a good point that I hadn't really started thinking yet about Clowney as the kind of guy who would be, I think, a good value signing. I think he would be interested in sticking around. Um, but you know, there's going they're going to lose guys. They're not gonna, I don't think they're gonna keep Matt Biggie. I don't think they're gonna have Queen. I don't think they're gonna keep Stone because I don't think they can't afford they can't afford not to keep Williams, who's still good when he is. Uh, he's a high contract guy, obviously of Hamilton too. So they're going to lose players. I think they probably would like to talk to some of these guys, value players they can extend like a Pierce, but I don't know what it'll look like. They'll often make, they will often make a signing an extension like late December. I remember they did it with Patrick Ricard. Mm-hmm. They've done it with other players late in this regular season and, uh, may, that that might come up, but how, how about it, Brandon Stevens for that? Because they could do it with a with a pending free agent, but you can also do it with a third. Actually, they have to wait till the end of this year for Stevens, don't they? Because he's he doesn't isn't complete his third year yet. But I'm thinking he's a he's a candidate this off season to get extended early potentially. Yeah, like they did with Broderick Washington, they did yeah. that with him. So exactly the same way. 
And and when you make that move, you know, to the player, it's great. You got the security to the team. It looks like you have a value signing that will only get more expensive later. Yeah. So yeah, he would definitely be a candidate for that. Let me let me go to another mailbag question here. I'll let you have the first crack at this one. This is this is from Brandon Croxton, uh, who's a regular guest on this show and one of the people we have on for offense and defense, ex-defensive tackle. This is probably the worst special teams unit of the Harbaugh era. Do you attribute some of the issues with higher volume of reserve vets, such as OBJ, Aguilar, Van Noy, Clowney, et cetera, that don't play or play very little special teams as part of the problem? I don't only because it seems like every year you have those guys. I mean, I, I will say this every year we watch we're that's like the one part of the team that we're allowed to watch in season as we get to watch. Mm-hmm. We're allowed to watch about 15 or 20 minutes of practice and every day it's special teams. It's generally punt cover, kick cover, and then they break into individual drills. So every year we've seen this uh, special teams group and every year, there's veterans off to the side who aren't involved. And so, you know, it, it might be Steve Smith or it might be whoever. They're not doing special teams like these other, like the special teamers are. I mean, every year, the, and I remember talking to Jerry Rosberg about this once a few years ago when he was the old special teams coordinator, highly respected guy, really good guy to talk to. And I always admired him because his task is always you deal with like, and he said, I deal with players like 44 through 53 on the 53 man roster. This is what I do. And when a guy is cut and a new guy comes in, most likely he's going to play special teams. The practice squad elevations are often playing special teams. It mixes and matches every week. And so like a Trenton Simpson gets a concussion on a kick return or a kickoff. Well, there's someone else that's going to take his place. Who's, practice that a little bit no no obj's not taking his spot but <laughs> there have always been veterans who didn't take part in special teams i think especially the, the point of the caller is right i mean or the the, the person is right the special teams this year has been a significant dip from what we've seen in the past and again harbaugh's background was special teams and so it's gotta infuriate him and it's not just one thing right there's been a punt block there's been a long punt return there's been a field goal block on-site There's been kick the onside recovered. kick that they botched. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it's a lot of different things. And Agu- Aguilar was on the onside. This is a wide receiver. You put those yep. guys on that team to do that. And so it, it's 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 been a problem. No question about it. Is it, a, is it a problem because there are more vets who don't do it? I don't think so. I think there are I think there's probably the same number of vets that don't do it. Yeah, they did make a choice this last week to deactivate Tylen Wallace. And I looked at that and wondered if that if they if they might be taking a hit on special teams of that. But that's not the reason that field goal got blocked because Tylen Wallace doesn't have anything to do with that group. But uh, yeah, it's it's they're off and on. One thing I'll say, Brandon, is that is that each year now in the NFL, with the additional injury rules they create, they almost always reduce the import of special teams, particularly on kick and punt returns. And this new take a fair catch anywhere inside the 25 and take it out to the 25 is about the cheapest shot they could ever take at the team that's kicking off and trying to, you know, have them drive value. You're much better off just kicking into the end zone and avoiding injuries, in, in my own personal opinion. Uh, and with Tucker, they basically have the ability to do that on any on any individual kick they would like to. Yeah, yeah, I found it interesting. And again, we didn't we we won't hear from Chris Horton, the special teams coordinator this week, but 
Devernay did two fair catches this past week, and mm-hmm. I don't remember him doing them before that this year. And I don't know if he did at all, but suddenly they changed the strategy and they said, we're just going to take the fair catch and get it. Because I remember when it first happened, he um, it struck us because someone said, oh, he's not even in the end zone there. But I said, oh, they have the, they have the new fair catch rule. But for, you know, it, it hasn't been used. It, once they did it in college, it was done a lot by all mm-hmm. the teams. But um, I haven't seen it as much in the NFL as I expected, and certainly not with this team. Yeah, no, we haven't we haven't seen this happen. Well, okay, I don't know what happens if you fair catch a ball at, say, the five-yard line, drop it, and then pick it up. Is that still a fair catch, move it out to 25, or do you then have possession at the five? Because that's that a, I be, don't know. That's that would really be a good risk. Question. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, James Crochet back there fielding your kickoffs. You'd probably be a little bit less secure about that fair catch. Well, that's funny you say that because I it's so funny because we were in the we're up in the press box and um I forget the exact sequence of plays, but the Ravens were getting to the point where they were scuffling. And I said to the guy Kyle Barber sits next to me in the press box, and I said mm-hmm. to him, you know, this whole sequence is setting up for James Prochet to have a game-changing play, either a punt return <laughs> touchdown a or a fumble. Yeah. And sure enough, they, and and it, look, I watched that play again. That's when I watched over. And I, he really had no, I mean, you can either, I don't know why he didn't try to fair catch it. Devin Duvernay is practically in his lap. And right. and it's not going to bounce into the end zone because Duvernay is going to be able to down it. it. It looks like a play he should have fair caught. And then you wonder... You know, Prochet is motivated. He's back in Baltimore. He wants to make a play against his old team. Is he too aggressive, too excited, whatever? And then he drops the ball. And and, and it should have, it really should have been a play that sealed it for the Ravens because they went and scored and went up 14. Yeah. But, you know, that didn't, it didn't do it. We were, we were co on this, on the phone for that at the same time. I literally yelled it out and I'm in an area where a lot of people can hear me in the immediate zone, and they're all looking back at me immediately after Prochet calls it, because it was like, James Prochet, you owe us a fumble now. And, and sure Well, enough. there you got it. The yeah. funny thing is, when I don't remember when they drafted James Prochet, when they drafted him, Eric DeCosta or Joe Hortiz, one of the two, talked, just raved about him as a punt returner. <laughs> and when they got him, I really thought he was going to be the punt returner. And I think if you go back the first couple of games, he was maybe. And then they decided Duvernay could also do it. And then Duvernay started doing it more. And Prochet was suddenly inactive every week. And Duvernay became the everyday punt returner and become a Pro Bowl punt Pro returner. Yeah. But they drafted the same year, if I if I remember correctly. And it was Prochet that they raved about as a punt returner. And then, of course, then we have the fumble. Yeah, this is still Prochet's fourth year, and it's Duvernay's fourth. So they were uh, they were in the in the same group. Yeah, well, Bo, Bo, been a complete pleasure doing this with you. Great, great conversation going back and forth about this, and a lot of inside information we, from the castle. We really appreciate. Uh, tell folks once again uh, where they can find your work online, or or contact you if they want to talk football. Sure. Uh, thank you, Ken, for having me on. Um, uh, I'm at Pressbox. That's Pressbox Online. One big long one word. Pressboxonline.com. Uh, I'll do my. I'll have my Ravens coverage on that. I'm on Twitter at b s m o l k a. So you're welcome to follow on that. I've always got insights with you know reaction at the castle after press conferences and so forth, and then you know write ups and in game and post game and pre game analysis and whatnot. So Pressboxonline.com. And uh, on Twitter at, or X as it is now, at, at B-S-M-O-L-K-A. 
All right, other folks out there, if you would like to be on a film study short, hit me up. DMs are always open on Twitter. Always encourage people to like and subscribe if you're watching this on YouTube. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, and if you're a, a loyal listener for many years or whatever, please write a review for us. That always helps us get to the top of search engine results. Uh, we're, we're doing very well. We have a very loyal listener group. I, I appreciate you guys tremendously. Uh, we don't charge anything for this content and would love to have you write a review if, uh, if you would. Bo, thanks again for coming on. All right, Ken, thank you. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Did you know using your browser in incognito mode doesn't actually protect your privacy? Take back your privacy with IPVanish VPN. Just one tap and all your data, passwords, communications, browsing history, and more will be instantly protected. IPVanish makes you virtually invisible online. Use IPVanish on all your devices, anytime you go online at home and especially on public Wi-Fi. Get IPVanish now for 70% off a yearly plan with this exclusive offer at IPVanish.com audio. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.